بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم من عمل صالحا من ذكر أو أنثى وهو مؤمن فلنحيينه حياة طيبة سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسنام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم The way the natural world functions, or the physical world, if you will, there's a lot of equations that we use to, that we apply to the natural world. And this is all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but this is an established principle. Right? So there's many equations that will come across, you know, for instance, for those of us that have gone through high school and for all of us that are in college now, right? there's you know, E equals MC squared. It's an equation that has been there for, for decades and decades, but it has a place and it serves a utility and a purpose in the way the natural world functions. Right, a person wants to, wants to measure a distance of objects that are moving, for instance, right? The distance equals one-half the acceleration times the time to the power of two, right, squared. So these are different equations that have been set up, that Allah Ta'ala set up, that the world functions by, Now we've now discovered them. But these are different equations that, we, uh, that, that apply to the natural world. The reality is that in addition to the natural world, in the metaphysical world as well, there are equations that we call sort of the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The way this world functions on a different level, right? Things that we can't necessarily see, things that we can't necessarily perceive. There's a, new, a way by which this world functions as well. And it brings us to a verse of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says so beautifully. He says, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى That whomever or whoever does good deeds, مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى Whether they be male or female. وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ And they are in a state of belief, so they're, they're believers. فَلَنُحْيِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبَةً Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them the good life. A pure life. حَيَاةً طَيِّبَةً A good comfortable life. فَلَنُحْيِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبَةً Meaning a person that desires, quote-unquote, the good life of this world, wants ease, wants contentment, wants success, then the way by which they attain that, the way by which they achieve it and bring it into their life, is through what? مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا One who does good deeds. Meaning the way that a person can live a comfortable life, live an easy life, or live quote-unquote the good life, I should say, is through the, the doing of good deeds. This is the equation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the equation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now in interacting with people, the general theme of today, in particular Muslims, but in general, people in general, the vast majority of people will say that they're not living a comfortable life. Meaning there's, you know, the, the, the dominant emotion of today isn't one of happiness, isn't one of purity, isn't one of comfort. Comfort meaning emotional comfort and psychological comfort. It's one of misery and sadness. Right? The average person that comes, you know, depression, anxiety, general unhappiness, uh, problems and difficulties, right? I mean, I have yet, there, there are many people that come to me and say that they're running into, that they're having some problem at school or some problem at work. They're having some sort of difficulty with a, with a family member, with a friend, they're going through a rough time with their spouse, for instance. They are, uh, they themselves don't feel happy. They're always, you know, their mood is always depressed or they're always constantly worried about things. These are, this is the average state of a person today. Rarely, I don't think I've ever had anyone come up to me and, and say, Alhamdulillah, I'm so happy. I'm so happy with the way things are. It's almost never the case. It's never the case. It's always the opposite. 
I'm, I'm waiting for that day when someone will say, Alhamdulillah, I'm just so happy with everything. So what happens is when these emotions take over a person's life, right? These, the misery and sadness and unease and all these things, then it forces a person to think that they're not living a good life. It forces them into that sort of a state. And the reason that people are in that state is because they don't know the equation. They don't know the equation. They didn't study the equation that Allah Ta'ala had prescribed, that equation that's present in the metaphysical world. They don't know that a person in order to reach that state where they're comfortable, where they're happy, where good things then shower them in their life. The way by which they achieve that is how? Through the doing of good deeds. One who does good deeds. And they're in a state of belief. It isn't much that Allah Ta'ala is asking us for. But Allah Ta'ala is making it very clear that if you want, you know, if you want to live a hayatan tayyibah, a good life, then do good deeds. Then do good deeds and this is the way by which you'll achieve that good life. But if you want to live a life of misery, right? A, love, a, a life where, where you're always miserable, a life where your mood is always off, where you're always on each other's nerves, where you never feel a sense of peace and contentment in your heart, then continue to live a life of your own whims and desires. And you'll never reach that state of happiness in your life. So we should take the opportunity to do it. Anytime we have an opportunity to, to do a good deed, we should jump on that opportunity. And if we do, then our life will be good. Anytime we have an opportunity to serve this deen, then we should jump on that opportunity. Because by, by, by taking that opportunity, then we're bringing goodness into our life. And Allah Ta'ala is putting goodness into our life. Allah Ta'ala is putting goodness into our life. The more a person involves his or herself in deen, then the better their life will be. Allah Ta'ala commanded us in the Qur'an, اُدْخُلُوا فِي السِّلْمِ When you enter into this deen, enter into this deen completely, wholeheartedly, not partially, not just a part of you, not one foot in, one foot out, not when you're, at, when you're on campus, and, but not when you're at home, or not when you're in the masjid, but not when you're around family, enter into this deen completely, and do good. Seek out those opportunities of being righteous. Seek out those opportunities of, of doing deeds that Allah Ta'ala will be pleased with. And Allah Ta'ala is promising you. He's promising you a good life. Allah Ta'ala promises you a good life. Now, the reality is that we seek goodness through other things. We seek goodness through other things. We seek goodness or happiness in this life through things of this world. We seek goodness and happiness, for instance, through you know, uh, a Starbucks coffee, for instance. We seek goodness and happiness and comfort in this world through a pair of shoes that we, we may purchase, through a, through a bag that we like, for instance, or the clothes that we wear, or a, a TV show that we'll watch. We think that these are the things that are going to bring contentment and peace and comfort into our life, right? If not physical comfort, then at least emotional and psychological comfort in our life. But the reality is that this isn't the equation that Allah Ta'ala has taught us. And this isn't the way by which a person reaches happiness. So I'll take you a step back so that you understand this concept, right? Because this is a, an oft misunderstood concept in, in Muslims today. <coughs> Allah Ta'ala created us in two parts. He created us human beings. We have two parts. One is that we have a body. And the other component is that we, ha is that we have a soul. The physical body we see, we look at each other all the time, we shake each other's hands, we interact with one another, we see the clothes that we wear. These are all things of the physical world. But Allah Ta'ala also created us from a soul. And the soul has been present for, for centuries and millennia. Our soul has been present for, for a long time, well before we were born. Right? And there, there's a, it comes in the Qur'an that there was a day, it's called Yawmu Adas, when we all stood before Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And Allah Ta'ala asked us, Do you, who is your Lord? Or am I not your Lord? And all of us responded, Allah Ta'ala said, Alastu bi Rabbikum. And then all of us responded, Qalu bala. 
of course you're our Lord. Who else is there but our Lord? So the spirit, the soul goes back far beyond the body. The body was just created. Allah Ta'ala created the body. It's just, it's, uh, it's a body that comes from the earth or from the particles of this world. And, and over time, that body grows into the state that we see ourselves in today. And then there'll come a time when our body will begin to deteriorate, right? When we're, you know, maybe a few years older. The body will deteriorate, it'll shrivel up, and then you'll pass away. The body will disappear. Now the physical body will be placed in the grave and that'll be the end of that body. Right? The snakes will come and eat it, the, the ground will come and weather it away. But the soul will be there. That soul will be there, it'll be interacting in the grave with the, when the angels come and ask. That soul will be present in the hereafter when Allah Ta'ala is asking us questions about our life in the Day of Judgment. And that soul will be present in, uh, in Jannah or Jahannam. That soul will be present in Paradise or in the fire of hell. So that soul is what we need to focus on. And that's where the priority should be. The soul and less so the body. Now the things that feed the body... Because the body came from this world, it's a part of this world. The things that feed the body are the things of this world as well. So the things that feed the body are things like water. Water comes from the ground and then it falls from this, it, it, it gets, uh, uh, the water falls from the sky. It goes into the ground. We take it out of the ground. We drink from it and it, and it nourishes our body. Food, for instance, is something that comes from this earth. Now, what are, what are the main components of food? Right? Food comes from the ground. Anything that we grow, all plants, they all come from the ground. And even if we eat, for instance, you know, lamb, sheep, cow, these things, where, do these, where are these things being fed by? These are also fed by the ground. So uh, those things are fed by the ground and then we consume these things. So all of, these, uh, all of the body is fed by things of, that come from the earth, that come from the ground. Our clothing, for instance, where does our clothing come from? It comes from things that are grown, whether it be cotton or whether it be, even if it's synthetic materials, there are particles that come from the ground. So our body, food, the, main, the main needs of the body are what? It's food, it's sleep, it's shelter. Shelter is what? The home, for instance. What is the home composed of? A house. A house is composed of things from the ground, right? Wood, mud, clay, limestone. These are the things that, that provide shelter for us. So the needs of the body are fulfilled by things that come from this world. But the, things of the, but the needs of the soul are never going to be fulfilled by the things of this world. They only come from things that are above this world, from the heavens. From the, that's what nourishes the, the, the soul. And the, the seed of happiness is the soul. We think that happiness is a quality or a characteristic of the body, so we'll feed the body, neglecting the soul. But true happiness and comfort comes from feeding the soul. So what things feed the soul? Those things that come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The things that feed the soul, for instance, are the dhikr of Allah, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu When a person decides to take on a sunnah into their life of the Prophet sallallahu that's feeding the soul. The recitation of the Qur'an, that feeds the soul. The company of Muslims or the company of the righteous, that's what feeds the soul. Being in, or sitting and spending time in the masjid, that's what feeds the soul. Going and visiting, the, uh, performing Umrah and visiting uh, the Kaaba, going to Madinatul Munawwara and, and bringing in the Anwarat that are descending upon that city. These are things that feed the soul. And when a person feeds the soul, they do good things. And when they do good things, Allah Ta'ala showers their life with, with His mercy. Everything just becomes easy. Not only are they given, quote unquote, the materialist thing of this world, they don't even seek it. Allah Ta'ala gives it to them. But more importantly, their soul becomes so content. Their soul becomes so content. Because this is a quality of the soul. Happiness, comfort, ease. These are qualities of the soul. Now what happens today? People, for instance, their mood feels slightly depressed, right? So what they'll do is they might, they, they'll think that maybe if I purchase a new bed for myself, then maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll feel better. 
So they'll go and purchase a bed, you know, that has so many different settings that you can adjust it. You can it can heat up, it can cool down, it can have many different comfort settings and levels. And and they'll purchase that, and then you look at them a month later, and they're still in the same exact state that they were in before. They'll say, maybe if I purchase a new pair of shoes, maybe this will this is what will make me happy. Maybe if I get you know go and buy ice cream, maybe this is what will actually elevate my soul or elevate my spirit. But these are things of this world. Now, it might provide some temporary relief, but it's ultimately not going to feed the soul. And it's ultimately not going to provide that, that sense of happiness and that sense of comfort that we're looking for. So for those of us that are looking for that, then we have to look in those things that feed the soul. Those things that nourish the soul. The soul is what was there before. The soul is what's there after. So the goal for us is to to some degree, suppress and control the desires of the body. You know, overeating or binge eating or looking at things inappropriately. These are things that feed the eyes, right? The body's content when it looks at the opposite gender and it, and it looks in a lustful way. The body just gets fed and fed and fed, right? And we think that this is making us happy. We can sit for hours on the internet looking at things, looking at, looking at haram things on the internet. And for, that, for those few moments, we feel such a, a sense of comfort in our hearts, Right? We, when we, someone's walking across the street and they're, they're dressed inappropriately and we, and we stare them down for a bit. And we think that this is bringing us you know, a sense of happiness. But give it a few weeks, then, then the, the depression of the person begins to grow and grow and grow. Begins to grow and grows and grows. So these things you know, that feed the eyes, that feed the, the, feed the body, you know, excessive sleep, excessive eating, not controlling the gaze, not controlling our limbs, not controlling our body parts, all of these things, uh, these feed this sense of, of, of uneasiness and unhappiness. But if we become people that focus in, that recognize that Allah Ta'ala created a soul, and if I feed the soul, I'll be happy in this world, and more importantly, I'll be happy in the hereafter, then we'll be people of success. So now that you understand that, right, at the core of the body is the, um, at, the core, uh, at the core of the body is it's what's called the nafs, Right, which which is animalistic desires, wanting to overeat, wanting to drink, wanting to look at all these things, wanting to you know swear, wanting to cuss, wanting to lie, wanting to backbite. At the core of the soul is the heart, and when a person begins to feed their heart or begin to begins to feed their soul, and they begin to feel a sense of ease and contentment in their life. So rather than feeding our body, we should feed feed our soul. So it will certainly be a, a a means of us achieving happiness in this world. Not only will it be a source of us achieving happiness in this world, Allah Ta'ala, like He says, He'll send the dunya after you. Things, it'll just begin to chase you. Right? We're so caught up in this rat race, thinking that you know, we study and then if I get the highest grade, then I'm going to get the best degree. And if I get the best degree, then I'm going to get the best job. And when I get the best job, I'll earn $5 million. When I learn, earn $5 million, then I'll finally be happy. What will happen is you'll get to that place. You'll make $5 million and then you'll want, man, I need another million dollars. I need five million and one. I just need a little bit more. You'll never be content with that. If you look at this country, the well, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, meaning we had the wealthiest people in the world, but we prescribe the highest uh, number of a- antidepressants as well. There, now there are people that need that need you know uh, that need uh, m- that need medication for mental health. I'm not, I'm not denying that at all. It's absolutely there and it's present. And in fact, I treat people with this. But the vast majority of people don't need it, right? So we're, the, we're in our country, we prescribe the highest number of anxiolytics. The highest, the, I think 80% of the world's narcotics or opioids, medications that are used for extreme pain, 80% of the world's opioids or narcotics, prescription strain in the world are in, the, are in this country. Right? People, are, people are in so much pain and that pain is driven by their mood or pain is, is partially driven by 
the, the, the disease they have, the disease process, but a large part of that is them just not feeling happy and continuing to take more and more pills and asking for more and more. So a person that feeds their soul, then the rest, everything else checks in. Allah Ta'ala will make their life good. Allah Ta'ala will make their life good. A person that does good deeds. Good deeds are what feed the soul. A person that does good deeds, Allah Ta'ala takes care of that person. So it'll be a source of goodness for us in this life. I, I think I've hopefully put in that point. But it'll absolutely be a source for goodness of goodness for us in the hereafter. Right? And it comes uh, in, uh, in, in so many hadith, the descriptions of the, of the hereafter. Right? This world is temporary. It's just a few minutes. We're going to go, we're going to die, and that'll be the end of that. Our bodies will disappear. Our focus is on the hereafter. Right? The Prophet says in hadith that when a person enters into the grave and the punishment of the grave begins to come, there will only be a few things that can protect us when we're in our grave. It comes in hadith, the Prophet said that, that when, we are, when we are in our grave and are lying down and the angels that, that provide that punishment, they are coming and they're beginning to attack or they're wanting to provide punishment or give us punishment. It comes in hadith that the Qur'an that we recite will be a source of protection. So they'll try to attack, it'll be a sort of protection at our feet. So they'll come and try to attack us at our feet and they'll try to punish us and try to torment us when we're in our grave. And the Qur'an will say, absolutely not, you're not coming from this angle. No way, I'm protecting this servant. He spent day and night, she spent day and night reciting me, engaging in me, practicing in me. There's no way that you're coming anywhere near me. Imagine if we, the difficulties of this day, imagine the difficulty of the grave and how nice it would be for us to have a source of protection. Man amira salih, a one who gets good deeds, one who performs good deeds, i.e. recitation of the Qur'an will be protected from their feet in the hereafter. A person who gives zakah, they'll be protect, their hands will be protected in the grave. A person that does hajj, the upper part of their body, their head will be protected in, in, in the grave. And then in the hereafter, the good deeds will be those things that, that protect us from the fire of, of hell. When we're standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and having to answer for every moment that we spent, whether it be you know, on campus, off campus, with our families, at work, at school, uh, in a halaqa, every moment we'll have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the only things that will provide us success and happiness on that day will be what? Our good deeds. So a person that's seeking goodness in this life, they have to work toward developing themselves and feed their soul. And a person that's looking for happiness in the hereafter will have to do the same thing. They have to work toward developing their soul because there's their soul that will stand up before Allah. It doesn't matter how physically strong and able we are in this world. On the Day of Judgment, it's our soul, the strength of our soul that will matter. It doesn't matter how uh, physically attractive or beautiful we are in this world. It's a matter of how attractive our soul is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter the, the types of clothes and the, the money that we invested in, in the homes of this world and the clothes of this world. These things won't matter. On the Day of Judgment, we'll be naked. Our clothes won't be with us. In our graves, our clothes won't be there. Our car won't be there. Our, home, uh, our homes won't be there. We'll be all by ourselves. It's the deeds that we perform that will bring us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a state that He's happy with us. So that's what brings in happiness and goodness into the life of the believer. Now many people, most people, most college students, especially those that are involved in the MSA, they not only have a desire to bring goodness into their own life, but they also have this desire to bring and effectuate change in the lives of the people around them as well. This is the desire of many of us. Right? We, we get the, where does this desire come from? It comes from the Prophet ﷺ. The Sahaba had this desire that they could effectuate change, or the Prophet ﷺ had this desire that he could bring about change in the people around him. Right? And how, how did he effectuate change? How many thousands of people entered into the fold of Islam because of him? 
How many people had benefited? How many billions of people are now benefiting from the message of the Prophet It was because of his desire to effectuate change. The Sahaba had this desire that they would effectuate change with the people around them, which is why envoys were sent of the Sahaba to the different corners of the world. And they had, ex- ex- they had presented this beautiful deen to others. So they had this desire, the Tabi'een had this desire, and this desire to bring about change and benefit into the lives of others, this we've also inherited from them as well. But the equation that we apply in order to effectuate change is also... Is, but there is also an equation that we should apply in order to effectuate change in other people as well. And that comes in the Qur'an in many places. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, and we've heard this, hadith, we've heard this verse many times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُغَيِّرُ مَا بِقَوْمٍ حَتَّى يُغَيِّرُ مَا بِأَنفُسِهِمْ that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not, will never change a group of people until and unless they change themselves first. Until and unless they change themselves first. Meaning that if a person wants to effectuate change in the people around them, the only way that they're going to be able to do it is by fixing themselves first, by purifying their hearts, by ridding themselves of sin, by bringing the sunnah into their life. Because when they do these things, Allah Ta'ala becomes so happy with them that they become a magnet of change for everyone around. They become a magnet of change for everyone around. And on the flip side, if a person continues to involve themselves in sins, continues to involve themselves in the fitness of this world, and chasing all the false vanities of this world, and then they decide that they're going to seek to change the people around them through service of deen, etc., then that change will be very, very minuscule, if anything at all. And we see the state today. Right? How, many, how many organizations are there? How many Muslim organizations are there that are trying to serve uh, this deen? Right? But look at the state of the Muslims today. If anything, which, which is continuing to decline and decline and decline. The number of organizations is going up. The number of Muslims that are being more active in their communities, in their MSAs, in their masajid, that those numbers are going up, they're not going down. Yet the, the, the reputation and in general the overall state of the Muslim Ummah is continuing to decline. How could it be? It doesn't make sense. If more people are involved, more people are putting in effort, more people are putting in, in money, more people are putting in time, then we should expect the result to be in this direction as well. But I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to explain to you, I don't even have to present to you that that's not the state today. Right? The state of the Ummah continues to decline. Allah Ta'ala said in the Qur'an, وَلَوْ أَنَّ أَهْلَ الْقُرَىٰ آمَنُوا that If the people had believed, and they were people of taqwa, people of piety, people that sought to please their Lord, like made that their purpose in life. Then Allah Ta'ala would shower down His barakat upon this earth. Just shower it down. It would be pouring the barakah of Allah. Meaning the blessings of Allah would pour down upon the ummah. Just pour down upon the ummah. So if we, if, if we had thought of this as a mechanism, that if we ourselves become people of righteousness and people of piety, then Allah Ta'ala will take the responsibility upon His shoulders to protect the ummah and to provide change for the rest of the world and the Muslim community at large, then, then we'd be people that were working wonders. We'd be people that were working wonders. Now, it's, this is also present in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that if a person works toward attracting the love of Allah, making, making Allah Ta'ala pleased with them, making Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pleased with them, that the rest of the world will fall in love with them. This is in hadith, right? The Prophet ﷺ said that when, a per- when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala falls in love with a person, and how does Allah fall in love with a person? A person spends time developing themselves, becoming regular in their prayer, becoming regular in their dhikr, developing a deep relationship with the Qur'an, you know, 
developing a, a deep, a, you know, serving their parents and serving the people around them. When a person does all of these things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala falls in love with that person. And when Allah ta'ala falls in love with a person, He declares to all of this person that I swear, that he, Allah ta'ala says that I love such and such person. I love such and such person. You too should love such and such person. So when Allah ta'ala declares that all of creation, all of creation now has to love someone, then there's nothing that creation can do that can get that love out of their hearts. So then the birds become attracted to that person. The animals become attracted to that person. That the, the hadith says, the fish in the bottom of the sea begin to make dua for that person. People begin to love that person. Right? We've seen this. People of extreme piety, of taqwa, that have really worked toward becoming closer to Allah. Everyone falls in love with them. You see them and you wonder, subhanAllah. I wish I could be like that person. Whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim, it makes no difference. When a person is a person of Allah Ta'ala, when Allah has declared that He loves that person, then mankind, people, all of creation is forced to love that person as well. All of creation is forced to love that person. And when, when, when Allah Ta'ala loves a person, or loves a group of people that are striving in His path, Allah Ta'ala becomes their wali. He becomes their, their caretaker, their provider. They have no fear anymore. They're so connected to Allah, Allah Ta'ala is the one that takes care of them. Not only does He shower that community with the, with, with the barakat, right? لَفَتَحْنَا عَلِيهِمْ barakat, Meaning, He'll give them wealth, He'll give them success, He'll give them uh, honor, He'll give them dignity. But Allah Ta'ala will take care of those things for them. They won't have to go seek these things on their own. They won't have to seek these things on their own. You look at uh, uh, the, the Prophet Wasallam and the Sahaba as well. This was present in their life, this idea of self-reflection and, and self-improvement. <coughs> Meaning they were never content with their own state. They would work on themselves to such a degree that, it was, that it, they recognized that if they developed themselves, meaning they became people of taqwa, piety, righteousness, that did good deeds, then they knew that they would be, they would be able to effectuate change in the people around them. And they knew that Allah Ta'ala would be so in love with them that He would just descend barakat upon that society. Meaning they were never content with their state. They were constantly in the service of Allah, but they were never content with their state. Look at the Prophet ﷺ, right? Always wanting to, wanting to, do, to improve himself. It comes in hadith, the Prophet ﷺ would stand in prayer until his feet would swell. His feet would swell and his wife would ask, why is it that you're standing in prayer for so long? You're the chosen one of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ was never content with his state. If he, wasn't, if, he was doing, if he wasn't doing things because he needed Allah, he was doing things out of, the, out of thanking Allah. He was never content with the state. He comes in hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, who never performed a sin in his life. Never performed a sin in his life. He was ma'asum. He used to do istighfar, astaghfirullah, seek Allah's forgiveness at least 70 times in a day. At least 70 times in a day he would seek Allah's forgiveness. He was never content with the state he was. And this is the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, imagine our state. How many times do we, seek, do we do istighfar in a day, seeking Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness? He was always concerned that it was his own wrongdoing. Or Prophet was always concerned that maybe it was his own weakness that was preventing change from coming into the lives of people. When the Prophet ﷺ went to Ta'if to now present deen to the people of Ta'if, and we know the story that he, he was physically removed from the city, right? The children would pelt him with stones such that he, he himself would bleed. He was bleeding when he had, when he had left Ta'if. And that bleed, the, the, the bleeding would go down into his, into his feet and into his sandals and his, 
and his feet would coagulate to the sandals because of the extent of difficulty that he had gone through. This is the Prophet ﷺ. And when he had left Ba'if and the dua that he made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when that opportunity came and Allah ta'ala said to, the, to Angel, he sent Angel Jibreel and Angel Jibreel said, Oh, yeah, oh Rasulullah, if you give the hukum right now to bring this, uh, to bring the two mountains that surround the valley of Ba'if and bring it together, I will, and it'll crush all the people in between. Just let me know, give me the word and I'll do it. It'll be done in a heartbeat. It'll be done in an instant. But the Prophet ﷺ said no. Prophet ﷺ said no. And he made a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in that dua, he began to complain, saying that, Ya Allah, I am weak. And I hope that you are just pleased with me. Expressing that perhaps it was my own weak. This is the Prophet of Allah, the most beloved person on the face of this earth, in the history of time. The one person whom in the hereafter, when, 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 uh, when the day of judgment won't start, and everyone's looking to the Prophets, asking them to start the day of judgment for them. And they'll go to each Prophet, Ibrahim and Musa and Isa, and each Prophet will say, Nafsi, 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 myself, myself, I'm worried about myself on that day. Only the Prophet wasallam will say his Ummah, and he will go into a sajda, and the day of judgment will start. Because that's how much Allah Ta'ala loved the Prophet wasallam. That's how much Allah loved the Prophet. And if Allah Ta'ala loved the Prophet this much, Yet the Prophet has it in him to make a dua that perhaps the people of Ta'if haven't benefited, perhaps they've left, perhaps they've taken me out of this community because of my own weakness and my own fault. Maybe I haven't developed myself well enough. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. This is the Prophet So even the Prophet had it in him that he had to, he had to work toward achieving the pinnacles of this deen. Allah, Allah Ta'ala gave it to him. But he, as a, perhaps as a lesson for us, Wallahu Alam. But even the Prophet ﷺ had this in him. The Sahaba had this in them as well. That they felt that it was a result of their own you know, sins, or their own weakness in their iman. Although these are the Sahaba, their iman, Allah Ta'ala testifies that He is pleased with them in the Qur'an. Even after the, even, or despite the testification of Allah that He is pleased with the Sahaba, they still felt, they were always concerned that perhaps they still had something within them that was, that was not in line with Allah. And it was because of that weakness they felt that perhaps they weren't be able to benefit the people around them. It comes in narration that once a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, his name was Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he had walked out of his home and he started saying out loud, Nafaqa Hanzala, Nafaqa Hanzala. Hanzala has become a, a hypocrite. A, a companion, a close companion of the Prophet is saying, I have become a hypocrite. So Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu sees, uh, sees uh, Hanzala. He comes to him and he says, what are you saying? Why are you saying this? He's saying, I have become a hypocrite. I have become a hypocrite. He's asking him, why, why, why have you become a hypocrite? So Hanzala radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that when I come in the company of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I see the hereafter. You know, I see the angels. I see these things as if they're present right before me. Right? I, my iman is so strong that it's as if I'm visualizing these things. But when I come back home to my family or I go to my business, then I'm not in that same state of iman. Now, again, the iman of the Sahaba, it's far beyond a state of iman that any of us will ever reach. But this was a concern that he had. That maybe I'm being a hypocrite, that when I'm with the Prophet, I'm a particular way. When I'm not with the Prophet, I'm not this particular way. Now, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, this is the most fascinating thing to, to me out of this story. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, radiallahu ta'ala, and he says, Subhanallah, this is my state as well. This is my state as well. Maybe I'm a hypocrite too. Maybe I'm a hypocrite as well. Who's saying this? Not you, not me. You know, not the guy down the street. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, the closest companion, the best friend of the Prophet ﷺ is saying this. The one who had spent 
uh, uh, a time in the cave with the Prophet ﷺ when they migrated to Medina. And Allah Ta'ala says, Inna Allaha ma'ana la tahzan. Don't fear, Allah Ta'ala is with us. Allah Ta'ala is with us, meaning Allah Ta'ala is with the Prophet ﷺ and with Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Allah Ta'ala is testifying this in the Quran. That this is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq whose iman was so strong. Abu Bakr, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said that if we were to take if I was to take the iman of the of Abu Bakr and place it on one side of the scale, and place the iman of the rest of the world on one scale, the rest of the ummah on one scale, the iman of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq would outweigh the iman of the rest of the ummah. The iman of Abu Bakr would outweigh the rest of the ummah. So this was the state of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So now imagine if he himself is saying, man, there's some hypocrisy in my heart. Imagine the state of you and I. Imagine the state of you and I. When Allah Ta'ala, the Prophet have testified to the iman and the taqwa, the God consciousness, the actions, the iman of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, and he feels like there's some hypocrisy in his heart. So then they go to the Prophet wasallam, and uh, but the more the story to cut the story short, they they go to the Prophet in this state. Now the Prophet provided them with some guidance and counsel with regards to the matter. But the point being that even the greatest Sahabi ever, right, felt like he, there was some weakness in his own state. So the reality is that today people run away from us, right? When people hear of, of a Muslim, they run away from us. They, 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 want, they want to know more about us, but then they come and they interact with us and they see that darkness within our heart, the darkness and filth of sin, the darkness and, 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 and filth of, 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 in general, just darkness in general, right? The sins that we've committed, the wrongs that we've done, and the lack of effort we've put into purifying ourselves and feeding our souls and rectifying our lives. They see this. Physically, they don't see it, but when they interact with us, they, they perceive this and people run away from us. But if we were to spend time, you know, perfecting ourselves, purifying our souls, elevating our souls, controlling the desires of our body, then our heart will, will become like a, a tasty fruit, right? It'll give off this, this, an odor like a flower. And people will begin to flock toward us. And when people begin to flock toward us, then the sky becomes the limit. Right? We'll be able to effectuate change with the people around us, whether it be our families, whether it be the people in our community, whether it be the people in the MSA, etc. But if we neglect to care for ourselves, whether it be as individuals, meaning we neglect to take care of ourselves and our own hearts, or as a community, as a Muslim community, let's say on this campus or in this city, for instance, if we neglect it to, to, to work on ourselves and improve ourselves, Allah Ta'ala will never change those people. But if we work on ourselves, really, and, and make ourselves people of piety and taqwa, then not only will we ourselves have happiness in this world, not only will we ourselves have happiness in the hereafter, we'll, we'll, but we also will become a source of change and a mechanism for betterment for all of society that we interact with in this world. So a few practical points, then I'll just conclude here. Just three or four things that I figure we can take home, inshallah, uh, so that we can implement in our lives, so that we can bring this, this idea, this notion into our life. The first thing that we should do, whenever any roadblock comes our way, right? When, when, let's say we're involved in a project on campus, a Muslim, an MSA project, or we ourselves are working on something, uh, whether it be our, our classwork or our coursework or something, and we feel that a roadblock is there, then we should immediately turn to Allah and repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it's quite possible that it's our own weakness, our own sins. It's quite possible that it's the, the hypocrisy that's within our hearts that's preventing the barakah of Allah ta'ala to descend upon that project or that concept or whatever it might be. 
So whenever that comes, the first thing we should do is turn to Allah. Before we even seek help of other people, before we get a lawyer to help us out with our situation, before we get you know, student counsel to help us out, we should, we should do tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask Allah ta'ala to forgive us of our mistakes and prevent our mistakes from being a roadblock for our success in this life. The second thing that we should do in order to, to, to elevate our souls is that we should establish a routine of regular deeds. There should, we shouldn't be people of randomness. We should be people of regularity and consistency. We should be people that know when we wake up in the morning, we know before we go to bed how much Qur'an we have to recite, how much istighfar we have to do, how much salawat and durud we have to recite on the Prophet ﷺ, how much salah and sunnahs that we have to perform. We shouldn't be people of randomness. We should have a set routine for ourselves. And if we do this consistently on a daily, daily basis, then we'll begin to emanate a particular beauty from ourselves and people will begin to be attracted toward us. The third thing is that we should seek to attract or to bring in at least one sunnah into our life per week. One sunnah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in our lives per week. Remember what I, the hadith that had, uh, or sorry, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran that if, if, the, if people desire, uh, people claim to love Allah, then. فَاتَّبِعُونِي Follow the Prophet Allah, Allah Ta'ala will subsequently love you as well. Through the sunnah of the Prophet Allah Ta'ala will begin to love us and when Allah Ta'ala loves us, the sky just becomes the limit at that point. So we should seek to bring in at least one sunnah every week into our life. And if we aren't comfortable practicing sunnah in public, then practice it in private. Do it in your own home. If you want to, for instance, you, you, the use of the miswak. The sunnah prayers that go around the salah. The sunnah of how we eat. The sunnah of how we speak. If you, if you can't do this because of, this is, you know, what, we can't do it in public, then at least practice these things in private. Practice these things in masjid, in the masjid. You're not being a hypocrite by following certain sunnahs in certain places and not in other places. That's not hypocrisy. That's you saying that, Ya Allah, I'm weak right now. I'm going to practice the sunnah when, at the times of my comfort. And inshallah, with your tawfiq, I'll practice the sunnah all the time, 24-7, wherever I am. That's the third thing. The fourth thing, and the final point, is that in order to better ourselves, that we have to seek out the company of righteous. Seek out the company of, of those that are righteous. When we seek out the company of people of piety, those people that remind us of Allah, those people that love Allah, and quite possibly Allah Ta'ala loves them, then we'll begin to be just like them as well. It's just through company. The Prophet said, Al-Mar'u ala deeni khalili. That the, a person is on the deen of his friend. A person is on the deen of his, of his friend. So the people that we spend time with, the company that we keep, this is ultimately who we'll become. If we spend time with those people that do the vicar of this world, I promise you that we will become people that are completely uh, entranced by this world and, and completely focused and fixated on the few years of this world, trying to live you know, only for this world. And if we spend time in the people that do the dhikr of Allah and do the dhikr of the hereafter, that remind you of the grave and remind you of a time when we will come before Allah, then I promise you that that will also enter into your heart as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to become people of righteousness and piety. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to perform righteous deeds and put, uh, may Allah ta'ala put barakah in our lives, in our, in our souls. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower His blessings and mercy upon us as individuals, upon us as a community and as the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alleviate the difficulties that we have brought upon ourselves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from, from, uh, from calamities in this world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us a tawfiq to elevate our souls and feed our souls such that we become com comfortable and content in this life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow our soul to become one of beauty and one that can be presented before Him in the Day of Judgment. وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين